this is an interesting uh, turn of events. Now, we saw we started out the week with that um, audio and uh, just shocking footage of a CNN reporter being arrested uh, by the state police. And his whole crew was arrested after that. I think he handled himself brilliantly. But he's not the only one. This isn't one of the, the uh, you know, um, only cases where apparently police are starting to... Um, target journalists. They are uh, targeting reporters covering the protests. In fact, the Press Freedom Tracker uh, reported that at least 36 reports of journalists being shot at with projectiles, rubber bullets, tear gas canisters, uh, pepper balls by police, and almost all the reporters have posted proof, either in the form of, you know, bruises and after-the-fact photos. Many have been caught on video. In fact, uh, there is one um, she's a Pulitzer Prize winning photojournalist, Barbara Davidson, who was covering um, the protests near uh, Los Angeles shopping mall and police told her to move. So she said, OK, well, I have credentials. And he said, I don't care. You should leave the area. She said, sure, sir, I'm a journalist covering this. Um, she then turned to walk away. And the officer shoved her in the back. It caused her to trip and hit her head against a fire hydrant. She said the only reason why she wasn't hurt is because she was wearing a helmet she got. Um, while buying a skateboarding equipment for her nephew. And she had that on at the time. Um, MSNBC host, who is a Canadian, Ali Velshi, said he was shot at with rubber bullets and tear gas by the police. People are blaming this on Trump, who has started to call journalists the enemy of the people. Here to talk about it, Jeff Jarvis, a friend of the show. He's a journalist and professor at the City University of New York, and he has been on the show talking about journalism and Trump in the past. So, hey, Jeff, every time you're on, I get a whack of emails that think um, we're going a bit too far here, uh, piling on Trump. But uh, this is extreme when we see the media starting to be a target of, of police. Have you ever heard of anything like this before? No. Not in this country, not not in this continent. Um, uh, this is and, and, and last night we saw fascism in action, right? Uh, Donald Trump had citizens of his own nation uh, shot at with tear gas just so he could walk to make a photo op with uh, probably a fake Bible. Uh, it was media manipulation. Media unfortunately fell for it. Uh, that's where we are. So, what does police interference with media say about freedom of the press in the United States? It says that I think that Trump particularly is giving permission to those who don't like media. We're seeing a, it's an authoritarian state. I hate to be overblown and get you more emails, but what we're we're seeing here is the emergence of an authoritarian state. But I also think it's in in a measure of hope. It is the last stand of the old white man. And I say that as an old white man myself. Uh, I, I think what we're seeing here is the fear of becoming a minority, the uh, fear of the uneducated old white men realizing that their privilege uh, rests without necessarily um, the, uh, the backing that, that it would require, and, and we're seeing them try to hold on to their authority by any means possible in the, in the way tearing down every institution that matters, tearing down rule of law, tearing down law and order, tearing down the value of the police, tearing down the value of education and journalism. Uh, That's where we are. How important is it for reporters to have a record of what's going on right now in the United States of America? Let's not start with reporters. Let's start with people of color. 
right? Um, and, and again, I say this as an old white man who's a journalist who's been in newsrooms, and, and I'm ashamed that uh, we didn't we didn't have the diversity, but we didn't have the representation to really know what was going on. If you're African American in this country, uh, you long since had the fear of white people calling the police on you and the police perhaps arriving as a death sentence. Right? Until we had social media come along. And then uh, witnesses were able to record, victims were able to record and share what they went through. And thus we had the hashtag living while black with white people calling uh, the police on black people when they were bird watching or having lunch or getting into their homes. And Black Lives Matter, uh, which made a proper issue of the murders of black people in this country. And all of that has been possible uh, for us to see and realize the extent of it, thanks to social media, thanks to people having their phones and their cameras, thanks to others bravely uh, recording it. It was a 17-year-old teenager who recorded the death of uh, George Floyd, probably scarring her for life. But that record matters. So it matters first and foremost to those who are victims of the system of systemic racism we have. And it also matters to journalists. But journalists should worry first about recording uh, the stories of those in the community over themselves, but they should also record themselves. Do you cover this sort of thing in, in journalism school, or do you think we're going to look at adding new classes here into uh, in your program based on, on the fact that, uh, you know, Trump is starting to um, put forth the idea that journalists are enemies of the people? We do cover it. We cover um, security in the first uh, classes of, that amounts to security of your sources, primarily, though, uh, how to do that properly. And now, yes, we are just having a discussion among the faculty and the administration um, the, um, about having uh, more courses for our students. One of our, one of our brilliant graduates, Gustavo Martinez, was arrested last night in Asbury Park, New Jersey, because he was doing his job, and he was recording what was happening, and they hauled him off in handcuffs for no reason than the fact that he was being a journalist. And so we have to do that. At the same time, I'm very concerned, especially with students, more than graduates, that I don't want to see them out there um, in danger and unprepared. And it's not just danger from violence of police and violence uh, in, in, um, with instigators, but also obviously of COVID-19. Uh, we are still in bad shape down here. And uh, I worry about them going out and exposing themselves to that. And, and there's no way I can protect them fully from that. Yeah, because they know that they are in the middle of what is a historic event happening, unfolding. And this is the start of uh, the career they're launching into. This could be the thing that launches their career. I could see how you'd be worried. I mean, how do you balance your own safety with the ability to uh, be one of the people that actually reports on on history and in, in yeah. one of the most important events happening in the United States, possibly this decade? Yes, true, but uh, we have to look and, and, and ask what's worth a story and what is mm -hmm. that story worth to the public. I How was do you at think the World reporters... Trade Center on 9-11. I stayed yeah. so that I could report. Yes, I got some extra details, but I also was a block away from the South Tower when it came down. I nearly mm -hmm. died. My wife remains angry, angry with me to this day that I stayed there um, and risked my life for what? A little bit of color. So I think we have to look and not have a macho wartime attitude about this. And the real story is the underlying story. The real story here that revealed by both COVID-19 and Floyd George, uh, I mean George Floyd, is the inherent systemic racism in the country. 
that's the real story to go report on. Uh, what's happening in the streets uh, with good video is only a moment. It doesn't truly cover the story that we need to cover. We're seven days in here, uh, and it doesn't show any signs of stopping, despite the fact that your president has said, I'm going to call in the military. We're going to break this up. We're going to resume law and order. And um, that, to me, screams of the possibility that there will be more bloodshed. Are you braced for more violence in New York? Yes. Uh, I mean, I'm out in the suburbs of New Jersey, uh, hunkered down as as, as we're in shutdown, and I'm feeling feeling that, that that. like, I wish I, should, I were in New York right now, but I'm asking myself the same question I just mentioned about 9-11. And this morning on the news, I see that the route that I took from my train station to the office every day uh, was the site of considerable uh, vandalism last night. And that's sobering. It makes it very close to home. I bet. Are you still with me, Jeff? It sounded like you yeah. cut out. Okay, perfect. All right. Um, sometimes we have some, uh, all of us working from home, sometimes there's some glitches in the machine. So, uh, it, you know, it is devastating to watch um, people rioting in the States. But um, we were talking to a woman who, um, earlier on in the program, who wrote an open letter to world leaders urging them to listen to what is being said uh, through these rioters and through the angry voices. I understand that today is called Black Tuesday. People are taking a pause. Uh, record companies are saying that maybe we don't play music, we don't release new music. How important do you think it is to take a pause uh, um, in a in a again, North American-wide fashion? We always reach out to try to be able to do something. And I understand that emotion. I'll go back to 9-11 one more time. People were going in, in droves to donate blood, and, and tragically, there were no patients to, to use that blood. Uh, people changed their, their Twitter handle and their, and their Twitter image. Um, those are signals which, which are worthwhile to that extent to show the people their support. But we've got to go deeper. I saw a video last night, amazing video last night, of a, of a teenage, young teenage boy um, I think it was in Washington, who went over a barricade, then kneeled down in front of the police. And you can see the police were going to come up. And then a teenage girl, the same age, came up right next to a white girl. Boy was black, girl was white. And she knew what was going to happen. She knew the police would go after him. And she stood between the police and him, a teenage girl. I was my own daughter, I'd be frightened to death, but I'd also be immensely proud. And, and, and people on Twitter, especially African-Americans on Twitter, said, you white people who want to do something, this is what you do. You share your privilege. You share your power. You do things that matter. Now, I say this from the comfort of my home out in the suburbs of New Jersey, and I'm not doing anything now but hunkering down and talking on the phone to you. So I'm, I'm, I'm hardly doing it from any position of uh, experience here. But I'm struggling for that way to show that we can do more than just change our Twitter images. Always a pleasure talking to you, Jeff. I hope you remain safe um, during this time of COVID because I think that, that, you know, we look at the states and I've said before, I absolutely adore uh, New York City. It's one of my favorite places in the world to see what's going on, not only with uh, protesters, but in a time of a pandemic. It certainly is a frightening time. So stay safe. Thank you. You too.